from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. It is impossible to live without failing at something, unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all. In which case, if I have learned wonderful. anything in my time traveling the world, it is the power of hope. The power of one person, a Washington, a Lincoln, King, Mandela, one person can change the world. You are ready and able hope. to do beautiful things in this world. And after you walk through those doors today, you will only ever have two choices, love or fear. Choose so why do I talk? But if you take some risks, turn step up against the times the toughest, Simply face down the bullies, lift up the downtrodden, and never, ever give up. If you do these things, the next generation and the generations that follow will live in a world far better than the one we have today. And what started here will indeed have changed the world for the better. Wow. I want you guys to know that that is the best acting I've ever done in my life. It's not easy to tell a story like that with the back of your head. Even if there is epic music and famous people doing graduation speeches, that's not easy, all right? You need to know that. And in case you're wondering, I do cut my own hair. I have for the last six years. I'm not trying to spend 25 bucks a month to get my hair cut. I'd rather spend $25 once, buy some clippers, and then cut my hair for free by myself, usually without a mirror for the rest of my life. And it's not easy to cut the back of your head without a mirror. So in case you watched that and you were like, the back of this dude's head looks so bad. <laughs> that's why. Now you know, so you can give me some grace. But um, that's also how you know that Charlotte is good at what she does. If you don't know Charlotte, not only does she do announcements... But she makes graphics, she makes videos, she does the lights, all the production. Everything that's involved with making YA look cool is because of Charlotte. Can you guys give her a shout right now? Would it be awesome, Charlotte? You know you're good when you can take one clip of a guy with a mediocre haircut and make a bumper video like that. So, Hey, um, if you were here for church this past Sunday, you, you heard Sean Johnson preach, and one of the things that he talked about was gratitude and thankfulness, and how gratitude and thankfulness can be remedies for things like anxiety, which I resonate with, and um, the reason that that is is because gratitude kind of takes our focus off of the bad and puts it onto the good, it takes our focus away from all the things we're worried about and puts it onto all the ways that God's already come through in the past. And um, the thing about gratitude is, according to the Bible, specifically in Philippians chapter 4, gratitude is something that can be generated. It can be created by us simply by taking a sheet of paper and a pencil or your phone and making a list of all the things in your life that you're grateful for. And I try to do that every once in a while. I did that this week, and I always notice a common theme every single time I do that. Um, and it's one word, and it's the word that's going to be the topic of conversation tonight, and that word is community. And friends. I'm grateful for a lot of things, but nothing more so than my relationship with God, nothing more than um, my wife and my friends and my family and my awesome staff that I get to work with here that have become more like best friends over the past year. And the simple fact that um, 
in the kingdom of God, your friends are your family because we all share the same heavenly father. Like, I think that's pretty cool. And our heavenly father um, understands a thing or two about community because not only was friendship his idea, but God is actually a community like within himself. I know that sounds kind of weird, but if we were to go back all the way to the very beginning to Genesis chapter one, verse one, the very first verse in the Bible, it starts like this. It says, in the beginning, comma, God. No, Oh, wait, yes. No, Genesis 1.1 is in the beginning, comma, God. And Genesis 1.26, now watch the language here because God is by himself, yet he doesn't appear to be alone with the way that he's talking. He says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God is alone, but he doesn't really seem to be by himself. Like if you heard me by myself talking to myself, like referring to myself as us or our or we like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, you would think that I was insane like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. But God, God's alone, but he doesn't seem to be by himself. And that's because God is God, but God is also a trinity. And you've probably heard that word, whether you've been in church or not. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three separate beings, each with an essence of deity, yet one God, three in one. Try unity, trinity, all right? Don't think too hard about that concept. Your brain will start to hurt. I've been there and it's not fun. But God within himself is a community, truly the three best friends that anybody could have. Check out this quote from Jesse Davis in postgrad right here. The three of them are having a discussion about creation. I would love to have been there just to hear that discussion. And what they are going to build together, it's such a wonderful thing to imagine the three best friends that anyone could have, chatting through their dreams of creation. And then they get an idea. What if we made man like us? No other creation or creature bore this mantle. Humanity would be made in the image of the triune God. And as such, they would have an innate pull towards community, towards close relationship. And here's my favorite sentence. Our very design as human beings is to crave friendship because we're created in the image of God and God craved intimacy and friendship. Therefore, we crave the very same things. And I bet that you feel that. And so watch this really quick life group video right here. I think just being stuck where you are, you don't want to get out of a rut. It's so natural and comfortable. And even though it wasn't a good place for me, I was just so used to it at this point, um, changing things up in order to change who I was didn't seem appealing at the time. Not wanting to get out of where I was was really what held me back, but knowing that God changes you through these groups is what allowed me to finally sign up and join. Worked at a you know normal corporate America job and I could do chit chat with anybody there, but really wanted to build some friends that could really do life about, talk about the stuff that matters. Um, stuff about your faith, stuff about how you live it out as an adult and um, you know, boys, though that would be nice to talk about at some point too. And so it just really, really wanted some good solid friends that um, could walk my faith out with. I actually met my best friend in the whole world as part of life groups. Um, was actually leading life groups at the time and uh, she, we go around in the circle and say, hey, you know, what are you hoping to get out of this life group? And one of the things um, my friend Jess said to me is, she said, I really just want to be your best friend. And I remember thinking, you're either the creepiest person I know or the most intentional. I haven't decided. And four years, five years later, she's my roommate and one of my best friends. Just knowing that people are going through the exact same stuff you're going through. So my life group started with a bunch of buddies of mine who went to the same school I was, went to the same, during the same classes. 
and we're all complaining about the same homework. We're all complaining about the same tests coming up, and it's just nice to have those people who are going through life the same steps you are. Hands down, you need to join a group. Uh, whether you're scared about it, whether you are apprehensive in any way, just do it and know that it's not about you and about what you're going to say. It's what God's going to bring to the table through others and through you. I think everyone should be in a group just to experience what God's doing and just to know that uh, he's got change in store for you and he's got a purpose for you and a use for you and he can fulfill so much of that and show you so much of that through these groups. Yeah, give it up for that video, huh? So uh, there's a lot of ways at Red Rocks that we try to make a big church feel small, whether it's sportsmen or constant events or retreats. But the two biggest answers I always give people when they ask, how do I find community here, is volunteering in life groups. But the way that we're going to lean tonight is towards the life groups. And, and, and not to make a pitch so that Red Rocks can get more life groups, in case that's what you were thinking. Um, Red Rocks does not need you to be in a life group. You need you to be in a life group, because you are a community being who is designed for community, designed to be in relationships with people who believe the same things as you and are, are heading in the same direction that you are. Like, that's how it works. That's what all of us were designed for because we are community beings. And so tonight we're going to look at three verses in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, if you have your Bibles or your phones and you want to get there right now, go ahead. I'll give you a little bit of background about Hebrews. It's in the New Testament, and we don't really know who wrote it. It's one of the practical mysteries of the Bible. But we do know who it was written for. The letter of Hebrews was written for recently converted Jews who were very familiar with the Old Testament and the law and the Old Covenant and had a very strict way of doing life for a very long period of time, all right? So they had their way of doing things. Maybe you can relate with this. And then all of a sudden, Jesus crashes in on the scene and turns everything kind of upside down. And they go with it, but then challenges come and they get tempted to revert back to the old days and the old ways. But the writer of Hebrews does a pretty phenomenal job without going into all the details of explaining through what they know, through the old covenant, that Jesus actually is the fulfiller of the law and truly the only high priest that they need to once and for all be completely washed white as snow for the rest of eternity. And then right in chapter 10, like right in the very middle of chapter 10, he just kind of stops. And in three verses, he reminds us of the importance of community. And he says, hey, you want to run your race well? Even more so than that, you want to not quit and not turn back? Then what you're going to need is community because this is what you were designed for. So let's read it. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. We'll read them all, then we'll go through each of them. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but rather encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So any lifeguards in the house tonight, past or present? All right, brothers, sisters. Good to see you. Once a lifeguard, always a lifeguard. So I was a lifeguard. Back in college, I'd come home in the summer times, and I'd, I'd, I'd uh, guard lives. I'd be a lifeguard. And I um, would teach swimming lessons to uh, kids who were between the ages of two and four. And the reason for that is because beyond that, I truly wasn't over my head and had no idea. I had nothing else to teach. 
Like, I, I like to think I'm a good swimmer, but I can't explain to you the basic fundamentals of the butterfly stroke or teach you how to do a flip turn. But when it comes to uh, sticking your head in the water without plugging your nose and blowing bubbles, I'll teach that for days, all right? Like, I could get, like, a little kid who was afraid to go in the water, like, to forget and lose the, um, the little arm floaty things and graduate up to a noodle and even stick their faces in the water and blow bubbles and eventually jump off the side of the pool to me and I'd catch them, but I'd let them go underwater just a little bit, which is scary, but just so that they could see it's actually not scary. And the only way that you can see it's not scary is by trying it, which is a great metaphor for another sermon, another day. The point that I want to get to right now is... When you're a little kid and you're in the pool, of all the things that are scary, there is nothing more scary, even when you can swim, there is nothing more scary than going from the shallow end of the pool where you can touch to the deep end of the pool, which might as well be the Pacific Ocean if you're a little kid. All right, you know how to swim, and fundamentally, there's no difference between swimming in the shallow end and swimming in the deep end, but all of a sudden, it's deeper and the stakes are higher. The intimidation factor goes through the roof because you're in the deep end of the pool. And it's in that moment where it's so critical to remember the things that you know and also to trust that you've got a swimming lessons coach who's there, who's going to let you try your strength, but he's not going to give you any more than you can handle. And I'm speaking, obviously, metaphorically, not about pools, but about the season of life that you and I find ourselves in the middle of right now. As 20-somethings, as young adults, we move from the shallow end to the deep end of life. Like you, you graduate from high school and you go to college, you, you choose a major, what you're going to study. You graduate from college or, or you move out of the house and find a home or you choose the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with and all of a sudden you're 20 years old and the decisions that you make now affect everything for the rest of your life. Like what the heck? Like the stakes just got a lot deeper and that's what we're in right now. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is saying to us in verse 23, he's saying, no, hold tightly without wavering. You're moving from the shallow end to the deep end of life, but that's all right. Hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, to the things that you know, because God can be trusted to keep his promises. So hold tightly without wavering to the things that you know. The things that you know, man, you know that, like, that God is real. I know this thing's real, and you know that he's good, and you know that he's for you, and you know that he has a plan for you, and that does not change just because life gets real, and life gets not so good on some days, and it challenges you day after day after after day, after day, and it's waiting for us as soon as we leave here tonight outside of these doors. There's not a person in this room who's not a little stressed or a little worried about something going on in their lives outside of these walls. And the season of our 20s will shape us and form us more than any other season for the rest of our lives. And that's probably why in this season of our 20s, we will be more tempted than any other season to walk away from our faith and to forget about holding tightly to the hope that we affirm. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is challenging us there's going to be bad days, rough days, maybe rough weeks, possibly even tough years where you feel like God is distant and everything is out of control and nothing is going right. And you're going to want to think that, that I wonder if he's not even there, if he, if he doesn't even care. I've gone from the shallow end to the deep end of life. And I wonder if God's not even there. And, and you, need, you need to understand that. And maybe this is your, the reason that you just came here tonight is just to hear me tell you that God has not forgotten about you or the plan that he has for you. And do not let your emotions tempt you or trick you or dupe you into thinking 
that God has forgotten about you because we live by what is true and not by what we feel. And what is true is that God has a plan he has not forgotten. Just because you move from the shallow end to the deep end of life, God is there and we need to remember that. The water just got a little bit deeper. Okay, we can handle that because we have a God who is good at keeping his promises and a God who has given us the ultimate tool for not wavering and not forgetting to hold tightly to the hope that we affirm in that ultimate tool, and this is not gonna be profound, but it's gonna be true, is once again, friends and community. The Barna Group, um, they do study after study after study, you can check them out on barna.org, about why so many 20-somethings walk away from their faith. Like, what is it that makes people, as soon as they're in their 20s and they move to the deep end of life, that makes them walk away from their faith and, and, and fail to hold tight to the hope that they affirm and forget the things that they know are true. And the number one reason, obviously there's a lot of reasons, but the number one reason, more so than anything else, is a lack of deep and intimate relationships with people and friends that are running in the same direction as them. Because we are community beings. Once again, God is relational, we're created in his image and things are going to get challenging and I think God knew that we would probably need good company. Verse 24, let's keep going. Let us therefore, I added the therefore, let us therefore think of ways to motivate, to motivate, to motivate, that's a V. I can read. Let us therefore think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Motivate, motivate. That word has been stuck in my head all week. Um, back in college, my little brother and I got into running for a little bit. And by running, I mean lightly jogging for short periods of time. And um, maybe it's jogging. I don't know. It might be a soft J. I don't, I'm not sure. Apparently, you just run for an extended period of time. It's supposed to be all the rage. I want to check it out. But my brother and I get a little bit, um, maybe a little too optimistically ambitious when we're together, and we decided, spur of the moment decision one day, that we wanted to sign up for the Denver Marathon, which is 26.2 miles, okay? And at this point, the farthest I ever ran was around my college campus in Boulder a couple of times, okay? But we, we're bucket list kind of guys, and when we get excited, it's like, dude, we could cross running a marathon off of our bucket list. We don't have to, it doesn't matter how long it takes us or how slow we go. Our only, the, the, what we wanted to do was like, you know, we just want to run this whole thing without stopping. So we can say that we ran a marathon without stopping. And so our training regimen was three Sundays out from the race, from the big day. Yeah, I'm serious. This is not how you prepare to run a marathon. Three Sundays out, we ran for a little bit. And then the next Sunday, two Sundays out, we ran a little more. And then one Sunday out, one Sunday before the big day, our plan is to, okay, we're going to split up and we're both going to run until we can't run anymore. And so that's what we did. He went left, I went right. And I kid you not, I make it 15 to 20 minutes before I stop and make a decision that I'm tired, running is stupid, and I don't want to do this anymore, and I want to go home. <laughs> but we're signed up for the race. But I turn around to run home to at least finish that, but the bus comes by and stops right here, and so I hop on the bus and it takes me the rest of the way home. And I never, one week, one week before I have to run 26 miles, and I never told my brother that, but then the day finally comes and we get up at 4.30 in the morning and drive to Denver, lace up our Nikes, eat some of those little runner 
energizing jelly beans, which don't do crap. They're placebo beans. And at 6 a.m., the race starts. <laughs> and for the next three hours, no, this might surprise you. For the next three hours and 59 minutes, my brother and I run side by side, and each of, neither of us let the other person stop. And it was the most painful three hours and 59 minutes of my entire life, but we ran the marathon without training or with training for it. We ran the marathon. And you'd think that like crossing that finish line would be like a huge victorious celebration kind of moment. But like I crossed the finish line so angry at the world and myself because every cell in my body was in absolute agony. You know how like you have like a good leg workout and like for the next few days, like you try to walk normal, but you're kind of like this. Like I've had that a few times. This is leagues above that. Okay. Like for the three days after I couldn't go to class because I could not walk to campus. I tr like I couldn't do it could not walk to campus. And then finally on Thursday, I made it to campus, but I'd walk like this. And if I, I came to like a staircase and was like, well, I can't, I can't go up that. So I, I couldn't. And I like turned around. I'm like, where's the bus? I'm going home. And my, my, point, <laughs> my point is I had no business running this marathon and neither did my brother. <laughs> no, there was no reason for us to be in that race. But we did it. And we made it. And the only explanation was the fact that we were side by side the entire way and neither of us would let the other person stop no matter how badly the other person wanted to stop. We motivated each other the entire way through and there will be times, sometimes, oftentimes, statistically in your 20s, right? Statistically in your 20s where you feel like you have no business being a follower of Jesus in a world where it is so hard to be a follower of Jesus. And so many times you're going to feel like giving up and feel like letting go of the truths that you know are real and the only chance that you're going to have and I'm going to have are people alongside of us who aren't gonna let us stop. Our friends in our lives who are running towards the same things we are and they're not gonna let us quit. They're not gonna let us hop on that bus and go right back where we came from because if you run by yourself, you will stop by yourself. And if you run by yourself, you will get on a bus by yourself and head home. I know there's statistics, but they're, they're real. And there's no need for anybody in here to be another statistic. If you stand by yourself, you're not the exception. You will fall by yourself. But if you decide to put the effort and work into surrounding yourself with people that you begin to love and they begin to love you and they push you and they motivate you the same way that you do that for them, then suddenly the whole game changes. Jesus sent his boys out in groups of two. We're not better than that. It's not good for people to be alone, at least not according to God. Look at the final verse of our writer in Hebrews. He says, so, I added the so. <laughs> Let us not neglect our meeting together. As some people do, some people neglect meeting together and they pay the price for it. But as for us, let us not neglect our meeting together. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And as the day that Jesus splits the sky in half and returns gets closer and closer, it will be harder and harder 
to follow Jesus in a world that is heading in the opposite direction that we are trying to go faster and faster and faster and faster. And our writer of Hebrews is telling us, do not neglect to meet with each other. Never stop motivating each other. Do not stop encouraging each other because none of us, none of us can do this by ourselves. And of all the benefits that come with Christians meeting together, like Think of like the life group kind of setting, the small group kind of setting. There's so many benefits that come from that. Maybe my favorite of all time, and I think this is so important, is the fact that when you meet with other people who are running after the same thing you are, you realize maybe for the first time that you're actually not as alone as you think you are. That you're not the only person in here who's struggling with what you're struggling with or dealing with what you're dealing with. You're not the only person in here who feels what you feel or who is caught up in what you're caught up in. And one of the most, the coolest thing that I've ever witnessed in my life is sitting in a small group with a bunch of other people and somebody for the first time has enough, enough guts to be vulnerable enough to raise their hand and say, hey guys, before we go any further, I'm not okay. I pretend like I am, but there's a lot of reasons that I'm not okay. And I'm struggling with fill in the blank. To then see another light bulb go off in somebody else's head who raises their hand and says, I'm so glad that you said that because I'm, I'm not doing so okay myself. And I struggle with that too. In fact, I struggle with this also. And then you start to see hands going up all around the room as we realize we're not as alone as maybe we thought we were when we were by ourselves. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are in need of the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. All, have, if you've sinned, you're in, the, you're in the right place tonight. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and not just a little bit short, all right? All have sinned and fallen a lot of bit short of the glory of God, but that's what makes Jesus Christ so awesome is that he comes to fill that gap and get us the rest of the way there. Jesus comes to be the righteousness that you and I would need because he knew that we could not clean our act up enough by ourselves to be worthy of heaven forever one day. So he came to be our righteousness, like not even on our best day. Like imagine your best day as a Christian, the Thursday morning that you wake up at four in the morning wide awake and you read 20 chapters in the Bible and you journal about every single one of them and then get out the contacts in your phone and pray for every single person in your phone and then you go to the homeless shelter and hand out meals and pray for people all day until you come to young adults and worship and do it all again the next day that even on that day your best day you fall short of the glory of God even on your best day, you fall short of the glory of God. We are all in the same boat, and Jesus knew that, and Jesus came to be the righteousness that we would need. He died on a cross, imputed to us his righteousness, so that now you and I are called sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. So maybe you're here tonight to help for me to remind you that you are a son or a daughter of the creator of the universe, not because of your worth or your ability to earn it, but by birth. Not because of your worth, but by your birth. Amen? That's how sonship and daughtership works. I'm my dad's son, not because, I'm, not because of my worth, because that's how I was born. That's how sonship and daughtership works. And when you come to believe in Jesus Christ, you're adopted into a family, into this family, and we all share the same heavenly father, and we are all far less alone than we believe that we are. And Ben, you guys can go ahead and come back out. If you're here for the very first time, um, I've been thinking a lot about this this week, and I know that you walk into a place and there's this much going on and it's so overwhelming 
That's okay. I I work here, and every Thursday it's a little bit overwhelming. It's so good what God is doing in this place, and it's so cool how he has his hand and his blessing on this ministry, and I'm so grateful that I get to watch him do his thing and write his story with Red Rock's young adults. But we all know what it's like to walk into a place like this for the very first time, like out in the lobby like a deer in the headlights. Like, this is so crazy. Showing up is not easy, and so if you're here for the very first time, I commend you tonight for showing up. It's not easy to do that. Hey. If you're here for the first time and and yelled, I applaud that. I love that. And I hope, you guys, that it becomes a little bit less intimidating for all of us when we start to realize that there's a lot of reasons that the people in this room are in this room. But there's two main reasons, in my opinion. I believe this beyond the shadow of a doubt that everybody who is here is here tonight. And number one, first and foremost, that everybody who is in this place tonight senses something about Jesus and wants to know more about him and and more importantly, wants to know him more. Is that right? Am I right about that? And number two, every single person in here wants to know and be known by other people their age. We're all in the same boat when it comes to that. There's a lot of things that we don't have in common with each other, but we, we are the same when it comes to a lot of much bigger things. We all wanna know Jesus more and, and we all wanna know and be known by each other. That's how we're created, hardwired to share the journey of faith that each of us are on in this life with other people who are on that same journey of faith running alongside each of us. God is relational, we're created in his image. We are relational and we crave friendship. And at the core of every single one of our souls is the desire to love other people and be loved by other people. We are far more alike than you think. And I I pray that that would give you more comfort maybe out in the lobby tonight as you're thinking about going and starting a conversation or saying hi to somebody. When you see it now through the filter of like, everybody here is here for the same reasons I am. I'm I'm not the one that's left out. We're all here for the same reasons. And tonight... You're not leaving here without an opportunity tonight. And I'm not asking you tonight to go out into the lobby and sign your name on a sheet of paper to join a life group. I am asking you to leave here tonight and pray about coming back on on September 10th and signing your name on a sheet of paper to join a life group on life group launch night. Because all of us are craving the exact same thing And if you don't know what Life Group Launch Night is, that's okay. Three weeks from tonight, after service is over, there's gonna be a bunch of tables out in the lobby with all the Life Group leaders for you to go and shake hands and say hello and meet every single one of them and find the group that that fits you best. And some of the groups will be all guys, some of them will be all girls, some might be a mix of guys and girls, some might be for young married couples, one of them might be in Denver on a Monday night, one of them might be in Littleton on a Tuesday night, one of them might be Wednesday nights in Lakewood. The point is, you're going to find a group that fits you if you want it. And so if you want a group of people to share life with, to do life with, people to run alongside in the same direction that you're going. If you want that, if you want to join a life group, the option is yours. You have that option. The ball is in your court if you want it. And for another group of you, and I don't know who you are, but but I hope that you know who you are. I wanna challenge you tonight to maybe think about 
another thing that you witnessed when you watched this video, but we're not gonna have these groups. These groups aren't gonna happen if we don't have leaders to lead them. And for some of you, maybe you've been feeling something in your heart, like a little tug that says, hey, maybe I could step up and lead a life group. Maybe I could do that. I don't really know what the heck I'm doing, but maybe like my question for you is not, are you qualified for it? My question for you is, do you think that you might be called for it? Because God does not call the qualified God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called, which means that you don't have to worry about yourself being qualified or having all the answers. You simply need to wonder, maybe I'm being called to this and maybe I should give it a shot. Maybe I can be a life group leader. Tonight is the last night to sign up to be a life group leader. And we need people who will step up and do that. And and remember that takes guts, but courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is your willingness to act despite the fact that you're scared. It's your willingness to head out to the life groups table, to talk to Sam Schalberg, our young group's life guide, to find out all the information that you need to know about being a life group leader, despite the fact that it's kind of scary to do that because I say this all the time, fear is real, but it has zero right to call the shots in your life and make decisions for you. Do not let fear make this decision if you feel you might be being called to be a life group leader just go out and talk to Sam about it we make it so easy here we don't just throw you into a group and say lead them we make it so easy with with a really quick orientation and then a really quick training session and give you questions to ask in a Roku box for the LG weekly and make it so easy to be a life group leader. So if you think that you might be called, don't let fear stop you because it might be something that would change your life and change the lives of 10 to 15 other people. I mean, you have no idea. There is nothing more worth it than friends, you guys. And and I'll finish with this. And I'm so excited to say this because um, I'm very, very blessed in my life to have great friends. And that has taken work, that has taken risk, and that has taken vulnerability And it has taken showing up and then showing up again the next week and then showing up again the week after that and being vulnerable, but then still coming back the next week despite the fact that I was vulnerable the week before. And and it's been so worth it. Friends are so, so, so worth it. I was at the um, Need to Breathe Switchfoot concert at Red Rocks Amphitheater last month. Anybody else there? My wife knows the fastest route to my heart because she got me those tickets for my birthday. And we went, and I'll skip the obvious that it was one of the most epic shows I've ever been to, but the lead singer of Need to Breathe, Bear Reinhardt, at the end of their set, said something that'll stick with me for the rest of my life. He said, he addressed 10,000 people, and he said, hey, you guys wouldn't know this from our album that we just released or the songs that we're singing, but the past two to three years have been very, very challenging for us as a band. We've had a lot of drama happen, um, a lot of disagreements, a lot of arguments, a few fist fights, and we've almost broken up as a band on a few different occasions until a few months ago. And he said this on the coolest stage in the world, looking out at thousands of people, he said, until a few months ago, when we decided, we made the decision that we were gonna love each other more than we love the hype of all of this out here. I was like, wow. Like the music is awesome. The hype of this is awesome. And I enjoy this, but I was designed for my friends to know them and be known by them. And not a single day would I trade them for the hype, for playing at Red Rocks Amphitheater in front of 10,000 people, not a chance. And I've heard John Foreman say that in interviews also where he'd say, you know, someday the band Switchfoot is gonna break up and it's gonna be a bittersweet day. 
But then the very next day, we're all gonna be at the beach surfing with each other, laughing, talking about the way that things used to be. The journey of the band was fun, but this is what I was designed for, are the people in my life that I love and that love me, and I would never in a million years trade them for that. The very first time I ever met Chad, I had lunch with him and I was really excited to meet him and I, I talked to him about like Red Rocks because there was so much hype with it and so many cool things happening and I said, man, it must be so cool. You're the pastor of a really, really cool church and there's a lot of hype about it and he's, he, like, he kind of smiled and said, yeah, it's, it is really cool and I'm very grateful that I get to do what I get to do with my best friends but you know what? Right now, God's got his hand on this and thousands of people a year are coming to know Jesus but what if five years from now, it was 25 people who came to Red Rocks Church. I don't think that's gonna happen, but what if five years from now it was 25 people? He said, then I would wake up excited and grateful because I get to do church with the people that I love. That the hype is awesome, the blessing is awesome, but at the end of the day, there is nothing that I would trade for the friends in my life in the people that I love. And I'm convinced, man, I'm convinced that in your lifetime, in my lifetime, in our time on this planet, there is nothing outside of our relationship with God in our relationship with your, with your spouse or your future spouse, there is nothing more important or better than friends. There's really not. No amount of wealth or success or money or fame or Apple products, or health, or houses, or cars will ever be enjoyed without great friends that you love who are standing by your side, who are running in the same direction as you, that you love and that you would do anything for, that you would take a bullet for. And so, let us not neglect meeting with each other, as the author of Hebrews would say. Let us not neglect meeting with each other, not now, especially not in our 20s. Let us motivate each other, let us encourage each other, and let us point each other to the things we know that are true. That we have a God who is a good God and calls us his children, and he knows a thing or two about community. And we're created in that image. There's nothing better than friendship. And so the ball is in your court. Hashtag, I dare you to move. Full circle, switch foot. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the people in this place. I thank you for this ministry and the fact that everybody is here, God, because they want more of you. They want to know you more, God. And they want, they want people and friends in their lives that they can run after you with, God. And I know that that fires you up because that's got you written all over it. And if we have those desires then you're gonna honor that. And if we take risks to make those things happen in our lives, and if we work to make those things happen in our lives, then you're going to honor that as well, God. And so I pray for courage and guts in this room tonight to go home and pray about maybe coming back on September 10th to join a life group. I pray that people would pray that you would lead them to the right group maybe for a chance to make friendships that will last for the rest of their lives. God, I believe that that's gonna happen in this place. And tonight I, I pray a special prayer for anybody who might be feeling called to step up and lead a life group and maybe be used by you and step into a new calling 
so that they can watch you qualify them. And they can watch you call out some really cool stuff on the inside of them and do some incredible things and have front row seats to see you change the lives of so many people. So God, we love you so much. I thank you for this ministry. I pray, God, that you would continue to bless this ministry and the relationships and the friendships that are formed here. I pray that they would last for the rest of our lives. God, we love you so much. And we sing these songs for you. It's for your beautiful and precious name, Jesus Christ, that we pray all of these things. Amen. Hey, we love you guys. Let's stand and let's worship.